0: You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. Uh, Sundays the last several months we've been going through that book of the Bible but uh, with it being Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we wanted to take one week apart from it and to focus on this passage in particular. It's going to be 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 is what we're going to look at today. just one verse actually. Uh, So it'll be a short passage but I trust that God has a lot to say to us through it. Uh, But Consider this a public service announcement. I may be a killjoy now of some plans that are are going on the rest of today. But today is not just Easter. Today is also April the 1st which is April Fool's Day. Uh, so some of you may have already been recipients of jokes or pranks. I heard some funny ones even this morning involving horseradish inside of donuts and things like that. Uh, so Easter and April Fool's Day being on the same day have a just endless list of possibilities, sending kids on Easter egg hunts where no eggs are hidden. Uh, I have saw people on social media who bought... Candy and they are cruel parents. I will not do this, but they uh, they took the candy out of the wrapper and then dipped some disgusting thing in chocolate, like Brussels sprouts or something, and then wrapped it back up uh, to torture their kids as they bit into that thing. But uh, today is Easter, uh, but it's also April Fool's Day. And uh, while there's a ton of just small little jokes we play on each other, and maybe even have planned for today, uh, there's sometimes the April Fool's Day pranks kind of grow in scope. They become big stories. They become uh, things that are known around the world sometimes and even in history. And I was trying to find what the best one was. The most memorable one was historically. And the the best one I could see that was noted the most places actually happened back in the 1950s. In 1957, the BBC over in Great Britain they aired a segment on April 1st 1957 uh, about a particular story it was two or three minutes long and note this spaghetti was a rare food that could be eaten in Great Britain back then it wasn't a very common thing but the story involved spaghetti and they aired this story using the voice of one of their most well-known reporters I think at the time about how in the country of Switzerland on this one family farm that there had been this unseasonably warm spring and these bugs that normally ate up their crop had kind of died off and that the spaghetti trees were having a good harvest that year and they had they showed video of these people like getting up on ladders and cutting down these strings of spaghetti and then rolling them out to dry in the sun and Whatnot, and it was believed by many people that that's how spaghetti was grown, and, and dozens of people supposedly even called in to the BBC to ask how, if they had any tips about how they could plant their own spaghetti tree and grow spaghetti there, so they didn't have to buy it and it didn't have to be a luxury item for them. And so there's some April Fool's jokes that kind of grow in scope where they become some big hoax where they become um, believed by many. And those type of stories uh, have two things that need to happen with them. They have to have some grand claim, some big story that's made up, a grand claim, and a global audience, a global crowd to hear it. And uh, that's what happened with that spaghetti tree story. Um, but I, I mentioned that in leading into this text today because, since very early on, almost immediately after Jesus was raised from the dead, this this idea, this story came alongside of it that people tried to say it was just a hoax, that it was just a grand claim believed by a gullible crowd. There was a story that the disciples spun and made up and that only gullible people would believe that a man was actually raised from the dead or that it has any importance for us. And that, that happened even in churches. Even in, like we're going to see in this church at Corinth, where this letter we're about to read a small part from was written too. In this church, there was uh, people, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, back in verse 12, I believe, Paul notes that there's people even in that church who are saying there is no resurrection from the dead. Not Jesus, not you, not me, not anybody. Nobody is raised from the dead. In this church, people were saying that. That that, that, that that message of Jesus being raised is just a, a joke or, or a fictional story that people had spun and that, that gullible people would believe. And Paul wanted very strongly, the man who wrote this letter to this church, wanted to correct that strongly and as strong as words as he can. And God would want to correct us today if we've walked into this room believing people aren't raised from the dead. Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. I'm not going to be raised from the dead. God would want to speak very clearly to us and and refute that and say, oh, yes, he was. And oh, yes, you will be. And so we're going to read this text. It's just one verse long. Uh, it's a little bit different from how we normally do things on Sundays. But it has much to say in it about the resurrection of Jesus and even about our own resurrection. So if you're with me in 1 Corinthians 15, you can put your eyes at verse 20. That's what we're going to read and look at today. And Paul wrote this. He said, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I'll read that one more time since it's so short. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so in this short text, we're going to see the story of Jesus in miniature form in a few words. But we're also going to see our story in miniature form. Some hints at what's true about us in the future and how we are involved even in this Easter story. And as we think of the story of Christ and our story, the main idea I want to convey from this passage, and I think that God would convey to us is very simply this, is that Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And so I want to walk back through this short text and first look at the story of Jesus, what really did happen to him, and then we'll take time towards the end to look at what is going to happen to each of us. And we're going to see both of these very clearly. But as far as what Paul says about Jesus here, I I would sum it up in two very simple, kind of obvious phrases. But one is that Christ died, and the second is that Christ was raised from the dead. Christ died and Christ was raised from the dead. Now this passage very much is about the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we picked it for this morning in particular is because Paul is zeroing in on Jesus was raised from the dead. That's the main point of it. But he says he was raised from the dead. I I don't want us to gloss over that because it's important that we understand Jesus being raised. Raised from what? Like what actually happened that morning? What state had he been in? There's all sorts of things we're kind of raised from. We have anesthesia that we kind of go under and we kind of come to slowly. That's a sort of raising. We get knocked out or unconscious. That's sort of a raising as we come back. But what does Paul say Christ was raised from? He says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is difficult for us to comprehend when we stop and think about this. At Christmas every year, we celebrate the Christ became a human. That's mind-boggling enough to think that God the Son, who had existed for eternity, entered into the world and entered uh, into a mother's womb and started to grow hands and feet and a face and had to learn how to crawl and walk and talk. That's mind-boggling enough. But when we stop and think about this, that Christ went to be with the dead, that he died, that is harder to wrap our mind. Because Paul, the same guy who wrote this, says other places that this Jesus Christ is the one who spoke the universe into existence. He's the one who designed the human body to have a heart that pumps and a brain that fires and, and cells that work and digestive systems that process energy. And he's the one that made the human body. He's the one that designed it. And when he came into this world, he experienced death. He was upon that cross outside of Jerusalem that Friday afternoon. And it came time for him to die. And the heaving that he was doing to try to stay alive and to be able to keep breathing, that ended. His lungs that had been filling stopped. They emptied. His eyes that may have been looking around, they stopped moving and were shut. His skin got paler. Undoubtedly, his skin cooled He suffered death fully and completely as a human being. But he was suffering something in his death beyond just physical suffering. When he went to join the dead, when he became one of the dead, there was a layer of what he was enduring that goes beyond what any of us experience when we come to death. He was experiencing not just physical pain, but he was experiencing the abandonment of God the Father. He was taking the sins of people like me and like you onto himself. And the anger of God, the judgment of God that should be coming down upon us for eternity, instead was aimed right upon his son Jesus. He was suffering and bearing the punishment in our place as he came to death. And the wrath of God was put on him so that it could be removed from us. Our sins were placed on him so they could be removed from us and Christ died in our place. He suffered on that cross and his body went limp. But thankfully what we celebrate today is that his stay among the dead was short lived. It was just a few days long his stay among the dead and while everybody else before him had a one way ticket to death Jesus had a round trip ticket. And Jesus didn't just die, but he was raised from the dead. That is the main point of this passage, that in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. And I want to say a couple of things about what happened that morning, what really took place with the resurrection of Jesus, this raising that Paul is talking about. A couple of things I would point out. One is that he, uh, this is a, what kind of resurrection this is, what kind of raising this was. And that I want to point out that he was raised physically his body literally that had been dead that had been cold that had been still that had blood and water come out of it when a sword had pierced his side a few days before that his body that had been wrapped and laid in a tomb that physical body came back to life this is not some nonsense that people have tried to make up over the years that jesus was spiritually raised that, he, uh, that something happened where his disciples a few days after his death started to realize, you know what, we can do this. Like I remember what Jesus taught us and his example that he set for us. And I want him to live on. I want him to, to live on in my heart and live on in my life. That is nonsense. That is not what Paul is saying happened here. He says he had, in fact, been raised. His body in that tomb, I don't know how it happens. Nobody was there to record it. When it took place, but his skin that had been cold and pale started to get warm again. His heart that had stopped beating started pumping again. And his brain that had stopped firing started firing again. His eyes that had been closed opened again. His mouth that had been still smiled, I'm sure. And eventually, a little while later, started speaking again. And his legs walked him out of that tomb. This is not just some spiritual raising. This is God worked a miracle in the body of Jesus and raised him from the dead. This was a physical resurrection. But this was also, I would note this, this was a permanent resurrection. You, You read the Bible itself and you see that other people were raised from the dead that Jesus raised some people from the dead, people who had died for a day or a few days. Jesus spoke words and they came back to life. But Paul, I want you to know what Paul says here. He says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And that is just as true today as it was then. that he has been raised because he's never going to die again. Every other person who had been raised from the dead, whether in the Bible or maybe ones that aren't recorded in here, every person who had been raised from the dead prior to Jesus or since died again. Lazarus, who Jesus rose from the dead, is not walking on this planet anymore. The little girl that he spoke back into life, she's not walking on this planet anymore. They all grew up and died again, got sick again and died but not so with Jesus. He has been raised. I was joking with my wife about a fish we had back in the day, right after we first got married. Uh, uh, I I think legend has grown about this story in my mind. So take this with a grain of salt, but there are seeds of truth in this and she can verify this for me. But we had a fish that even on this very weekend of Easter weekend, uh, one of the first years that we were married, this fish would swim in a bowl in our little uh, kitchen in our first apartment, and we came home one night, and I don't know much about fish or animals at all, but I could tell this thing was dead. Like, when we came back in, it was not moving. There's no little waving of the fins or anything. It was dead, dead as dead can be, and I I mean, I did not have the heart to flush the thing down the toilet, so we just left it in there, which is probably terrible, uh, but we left it in there and I kid you not i don 't remember how many days it was like it couldn 't have been more than a day or two. But when I came back in the kitchen again, the thing was swimming again i am I am serious; she can attest to this we even you don 't usually get fish names, but we nicknamed it res like for resurrection uh, but that fish, guess what happened to it? It eventually went down the toilet again. It, it uh, not again for the first time. It, it died. And every—that's a trivial, just silly example, but I, I say it to make a point that every resurrection of a human being that happened other than to Jesus, that person died again. That person was buried somewhere. Their body is here on Earth somewhere, buried. But Christ was raised from the dead in a different form, a different way that he would never die again. His body was raised up immortal, not, not able to die again. So he, it was a permanent resurrection. And I, I want you to know here that Paul says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is an important thing because Christianity is not just a philosophy. It's not just a set of opinions and beliefs that we kind of toy around with. The message of Christianity is a true story about historical facts. That a man named Jesus Christ was God the Son, is God the Son. and That he was crucified on a cross for our sins outside jerusalem and that on the third day on that sunday morning he physically came back to life never to die again and that he offered salvation to all who would come to him by faith and paul wants them to know this this church and he would want us to know people who may be tempted to think the resurrection is not real it didn't happen to him it's not going to happen to me paul would say in fact Christ has been raised. And he points back earlier in this chapter to eyewitnesses who saw it. Uh, Even himself. He references himself as someone who has talked to the resurrected Jesus. And And he references individual people like Peter and James that Jesus appeared to. He references the group of the 12 disciples that Jesus appeared to. He references earlier in this chapter that Jesus appeared to 500 people all at one time. Resurrected. From the dead, and so we have good ground to stand on in believing that Christ has, in fact, been raised from the dead; that He really did come to life that Sunday morning, never to die again. If you're here today and you've you've you're tempted to think this is too good to be true. I I don't. This doesn't sound like it could actually be true. Like I I don't care what you tell me. Like there's no way people are raised. From the dead, I would suggest to you and tell you that just because you're tempted to dismiss it, just because you're tempted to think there's no way it's true, there's no way that could be, doesn't mean it's not. I'm not asking you to believe that people are just raised up all the time, that people are just raised from their tombs all the time. What I'm asking you to believe and what God is telling you to believe is that one man, Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead outside Jerusalem a few thousand years ago. That is what you're called to believe. And just because something's difficult to believe doesn't mean it's unbelievable. I was joking around with our our student ministries director, Jake Osborne, uh, the other day, and I was remembering last April Fool's Day uh, that I saw something on his Facebook feed uh, that he had told me a little bit before this that his wife Allie was pregnant and that they were going to have a baby, and so I was excited about it. But on April 1st, He posts, I'd like to back up, this is what he posted on his Facebook. Well, he said, so excited to share the news with you all that my beautiful wife Allie and I are expecting a baby this fall. Birth announcement picture coming tomorrow. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, no. Like, nobody's going to believe this. Like, they're going to think it's a joke. They're going to think it's not real. And sure enough, some people did. They they know the date. They they know Jake likes to sometimes play jokes. And they think, no, not true. No way that's true. Not believing it. But if you hung with that message long enough and you let weeks roll by and saw evidence ultrasound pictures and baby bump growing and eventually charlotte being born you know he was telling the truth this claim you might have been quick to dismiss evidence proved it was true and the same thing is true with the resurrection of christ that you may be tempted to think it's not true and there's no way that's just made up stuff but there is good evidence eyewitness testimony alone should be convincing to us that this really did happen hundreds of people Ate with Jesus and heard Jesus talk after he had been crucified. So Jesus has, in fact, been raised. I would say as a word of application, not just that we should believe in the resurrection, but I want to address some of you who may be in the room who you still don't believe in the resurrection, but you want to hold on to a shell of Christianity. That's what these... Believers at Corinth, some of them were doing. They, they said, there's no resurrection. That's nonsense. Nobody's raised from the dead. But they still were coming to church. They still were trying to learn together with these people. And Paul is wanting these people. And he would want us, if we're in that boat, where we say the resurrection is not true. But I still think Christianity has some good things to offer. Paul would want you to think, that is nonsense. He says in verse 19... If in this life only we've hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's saying the Christian message, if it's just for this life, if it's just to make your life better and like get your act together and make this life as pleasant as you can be, he's saying don't believe it. Like The, the truthfulness and the usefulness of Christianity hinges on whether Jesus really did come back to life. And if he didn't, don't come back here. Like, don't waste your time worshiping. Don't try to live for Christ if he's dead in a tomb somewhere. But if he is risen from the dead, then you should give your life to him and cast your eternal hope upon him. So let there be none of this among us where we have to try to have some shell of Christianity and morals and values, but we have no resurrected Jesus. That is not Christianity. So we see Jesus' story in this text. We see that he died and that he was raised from the dead. But I wanted to, in the second half of this text, I want you to see how your story is involved here. What relevance this resurrection story has for you. Because Paul doesn't just end mid sins He says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then he says this, calling Jesus the first fruits of those who have fallen Asleep. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And just as we said, we summarize the story of Christ as he died and he was raised. I want you to see from this text, I would want each of you to know that these two things about our story, is that we all will die and that we all will be raised from the dead. Every single one of us, we all will die, we all will be raised the dead. I want you to know how this passage ends. There's this phrase, Paul talks about this group of people, those who have fallen asleep. That is a, a way to describe all those who have died. It's not talking about people who have ever fallen asleep and taken a nap or slept at night. That, this is a way the Bible speaks of people who have died. It's, it's a, a euphemism or a, a nice way to talk about death. There's this group of people who have fallen asleep and God as he created us I've thought about this recently he created us needing sleep every day ideally some days we may go without it but he's embedded in us a rhythm where every day at the end of the day we need sleep and our body goes into this this place that in some ways mimics death we we become still we become unconscious. We, we're not in control of our bodies any longer. And God embedded that in our life as human beings and reminding us death is coming. Death is coming. Death is coming. Death is coming. Every day that should be a reminder to us, not in a morbid way. But he, he talks about those who have fallen asleep. And I, I would want to remind you or tell you today that death for every one of us, And I'm in the same boat as you. Death is inescapable. This group of those who have fallen asleep is growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And And someday we will join that group. Someday you will join that group. If Christ does not return, you will join that group of those who have fallen asleep. And if you want a haunting experience, at least it was, for me, you can go to this website, and there may be other places that do it, but there's a website, I think you pronounce that, worldometers or worldometers.info. I looked at this this week, and they have an ongoing clock, a ticker, of the just the people who have died on our planet this year, in 2018. And you can watch that thing in real time. Every second, the number gets higher and higher and higher and higher and it is haunting to watch that thing tick up and just in 2018 when I looked at it a couple days ago over 14 million people have died in these first few months of this year 14 million people have died and we've made many advances as human beings. We have many blessings that we've received through medicine. And we have longer life expectancies and things like that. But one thing we will not defeat and not find a cure for is death. God has said that it's true. That we will all fall asleep someday. We all will join this group of people who have fallen asleep. It doesn't matter if we're good and godly or we are the worst of human beings. Charles Spurgeon said that death mows down the fairest lilies as well as the foulest thistles. Every one of us, the most godly among us, the most evil among us is going to face death and is going to fall asleep someday in death. This ought to give us a sobriety about our life, a, a desire to use the days, however many we have, to use them for the Lord, to live them to their fullest. But more than that, it should make us think about what happens after death. What happens when I fall asleep in death someday? Satan would love for us, and maybe has some of you in this place today, he would love for us to be terrified of death. He he tempts us in life, one pastor said, and he taunts us in death. And he holds out for us and says, Death's coming for you, death is coming for you, and there's nothing you can do about it. And he would love for us to be terrified. He would love for us to be afraid. He would love for us to forget that there is one who has died and been raised from the dead to never die again. And that is where we need to look for our hope. We need to to not just realize that we will all die, but to know that we will all be raised from the dead someday. Everyone in this room will face death, but everyone in this room will be raised from the dead someday as well. And you can see that from this phrase where Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of that group, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I am one of the least agricultural people that I know, uh, so I had to look up a little bit of what first fruits were about and what the point of them was, and some could explain it better than me. But if you are like me, here's a little short explanation of what first fruits are. When people are trying to plant grain or some other uh, sort of food, especially maybe even fruit itself, uh, early on in the harvest season, the growing season, there's the in certain parts of the field or the vineyard or whatever, there will be these early growers, these early yields, so to speak, where there will be grain or something that grows early before even the rest does. And these these became very important in many religions, many, uh, even the Jewish religion that Jesus was part of and that Paul, the guy who wrote this, had been part of. And and if you look back, even in the Old Testament, read Leviticus twenty three. This is incredibly fascinating. Uh, God had given his people an annual uh, thing that they were supposed to do where they were supposed to bring a first fruits offering. And it was actually supposed, the time of year it was supposed to happen was actually during Passover, which is interesting, which is right when Jesus died and was raised during that very week. And what they were supposed to do, Leviticus 23 says that they were supposed to bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, And so that early growth that they had from their crops, they were supposed to bring that to the priest and he was supposed to wave it before God as an offering. He was supposed to wave it before the Lord and it, it served a few purposes. One is that it was supposed to show a sign of trust in these people that man that God has given this but man I'm trusting that the rest is coming. I'm going to give the very first things that God gave to me. I'm going to give it to him as an offering. So it was a sign of trust, their trust in the Lord, that he, was to, that he would provide the rest to come behind it. But it was also in ways to be a reminder to them that the rest is coming, that, that there's more to come, so to speak. There's more where that came from. That's what a first fruits was supposed to give a farmer, was confidence that, hey, because this first growth came, the rest is going to come too. The rest of the harvest is going to come behind it. And Jesus was raised from the dead. They were supposed to do that offering on the Sunday of Passover. And that is the day Jesus was raised from the dead. And Paul calls him the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's, it's like he's saying, hey, all these people have died. All of them have fallen asleep. But guess what's coming up from that field? A resurrected human being that will never die again. And it's a guarantee to us who have heard about that to know, someday when I'm in that field, I'm growing and I'm being resurrected too. And I'm going to have a body just like Jesus that will never die again, that will live for eternity. That's why Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. That's what the point of this image is. That's what the point of this passage is, is that we all will fall asleep just as Jesus did. But he's that first one who's broken forth and been raised from the dead and that someday we will as well. Someday each of us will get our bodies back. We will have bodies that never die again. We will be raised just as he was raised. And this should give us hope. This should give us, that's what Paul was driving at in this text, is that he wanted people to have hope and confidence that when I face death someday, when I fall asleep someday, my loved one faces death, when they fall asleep, when there's a tombstone that has my name on it, someday, that Jesus, the one who's been raised from dead, is going to come back and he's going to raise me up. He's going to give me a body that will never die again. He's going to give my loved one a body that will never die again. And he says, as he goes on later in this chapter, he talks about those who belong to Christ. And he says that when they are raised, from the dead, it will be to eternal life. It will be to, he says in other places, to be part of this new earth, this kingdom that Jesus will set up forever. Where there's no death, there's no disease, there's no suffering, there's no pain. And so that is the hope that we who are trusting in Christ have. But it is not just those who belong to Christ who are raised. Every human being is going to be raised from the dead. Even enemies of Christ, people who've rejected him, people who say there's no resurrection from the dead, they will all be raised from the dead. And for them, and if that is you and you've not turned from your sin and put your trust in Christ, you ought not to look forward to the resurrection with hope, with gladness, you ought to look to it with fear. Look to it with dread, because when when unbelievers are raised up from the dead, it will not be to join Christ in his kingdom they 'll be given their physical bodies back, but it will be to suffer in hell for eternity, and one of those two fates awaits us, one of those two destinies awaits us. We will be raised. the first fruits have come, but we will either be raised to eternal life or we'll be raised to eternal judgment one or the other there will be no fence to ride it will belong to one group or the other and to you who have placed your trust in christ i would urge you to have confidence they have hope that if 2018 brings about your death or whether your death is long in the future that when you come to face it, have confidence christ will raise you but if you have not put your trust in Christ, I would urge you today to make today the day that you turn from your sins and you put your trust in the one who died for you and who's been raised from the dead. Because I don't want you to come to him just in dread and fear of hell. I want you to remember he loves you. He came into this earth to die for you upon the cross, to take your sins upon himself. And he's been raised from the dead. And he's in control of all things and could squash you. He could squash me but he says come to me like i will forgive you i want to forgive you come to me in repentance and faith jesus invites you to come to him and he will give you eternal life he will begin that eternal life in you even today there's a a phrase we use that i I thought of the last few days has nothing really to do with easter but there's a, a phrase that we use where we say don't put all your eggs in one basket Are you all familiar with this uh I I know when we would do Easter egg hunts when I was a kid, we'd always have a basket and carry them around, and uh, that's what made me think of this. But that phrase, don't put all your eggs in one basket, that we might think of today, is a phrase to, to, since eggs are such a fragile thing, it's this idea of, man, you don't want to put all those fragile things in one container, because if that thing drops... You're out of luck. You got no eggs to eat, no eggs to serve to people. You got to go get some more. But if you have a few baskets and you came in a few, maybe you could drop one, and some of them will break, but you still got seventy-five percent of your eggs to use and whatnot. And it, it's this idea of kind of playing it safe and like having different investments. I'm going to spend my time in different places and and care for different people. When it comes to spiritual things, there's this temptation that some of us have to do that spiritually. That, that we think some people have the audacity to say, I'm going to put my eggs, so to speak, in different religions. Like, I want to make sure I'm good with the Christian God if there's a Christian God. And I w- want to make sure if... If Buddha and all that he said is correct, I want to make sure I got that base covered, so i 'm going to kind of live this way or if if it just comes to the end and God just ba- judges us based on our good works versus our evil works i I want to make sure I outweigh the good or outweigh the bad with some good things, and we kind of try to hedge our bets and say, I want to cover my bases and make sure that i I have all those covered but there's there's a quote I came across this week from Mark Twain long ago um and I, i've updated the english just a little bit to make it easier to to understand but he wrote this he said and this had nothing to do with jesus originally but he says behold the fool says don't put all your eggs in one basket which is but a manner of saying scatter your money and your attention but the wise man says put all your eggs in the one basket and watch that basket. That's what he said to do. It's like you put all your eggs in this one thing, and you pay attention to that thing, and you make sure it's okay, and that'll be you'll be good to go. You don't have to worry about hedging your bets and putting your eggs in all these different things. And I would tell you that when it comes to your eternity, when you have to stake your soul, your eternity for the future and what lies ahead, you can put all your eggs in the basket of Christ. And that's what Christ calls you to do. He says, put all your trust in me. Like I have died for you. I've been raised for you. Put your trust 100% in me. Don't do this thing of giving it to some other people and trying to be good or put it in some other religions and hope that those may be out. But put your trust completely in me, Jesus would say. Put all of your trust in me. And we have good confidence, good reason to do that because Christ has, in fact, been raised He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep.